We are designed especially by God with certain desires and I believe that those desires that are right are desires that came from God and God said he made us in his image God wants us to be part of him not just his creation but somebody that's part of family I'm sure you understand there's there's one thing about people that you know they may be neighbors might be good people to work with but sometimes you just feel like you know family's still family and um, whether it's your wife your kids brother sisters family's family and you believe that there should be a closer tie there you know because say well we're, we're we're blood and blood is thicker than water well I believe God has placed a little bit of that in us God loves God wants not only someone to love God wants to be loved and you and I I think have lived long enough now most of us in this room we're all adults we've lived long enough to know what it feels like to be loved and to be hurt by being rejected rejection is a terrible thing I remember whenever I was in school and I was at a stage in my life where I wasn't really that athletic I didn't have a chance to play like some of the kids so I didn't have a chance to develop in certain you know certain athletic skills and we'd get together and they'd always pick up sides and they would take this one they'd take that one take it and Yankees the last one how would you like to be it's either me or some guy that's got you know three left feet and uh, and they're trying to decide whether or not to, to pick me or the the guy that's totally off the wall and you think this is where I am in life I am on the bottom and and he and one of them know that well if you can't hit you can't catch and you can't run too good we don't want him on our team and there's a sense of rejection I used to hate it whenever they had to pick up size because I always knew that they were going to pick all the good guys because they always want the good guys on their team. Some of you may have experienced some of that. But as I got older, I always made sure that, look, we're going to pick up teams. Um, me and uh, Tim, we're going to pick up teams. What have I done now? I am on a team. I am on a team because I just put myself on the team. And I learned that very early just to go ahead and do it. I always wanted to be the president of a Bible college, so the best way to be a president of a Bible college is do what? Start one. And then you have just nominated yourself the president. Well, isn't that wonderful? There's things that we don't like to go through in life. We don't like to experience. And that is the feeling of being despised and rejected. Do you know anybody that the Bible talks about that was despised and rejected? And think for a moment. What was the world like when God sent his son into the world? Was the world ready to receive him? Was the world getting everything straight? Remember one of the jobs that John the Baptist had was getting the people ready for the Son of Man. And he went preaching and repentance. Straighten up. Do right straight paths for your feet and all this stuff 
it didn't make much difference. They weren't ready for him. When God sent his son into the world, the world was not ready. It was a terrible time. In the book of Genesis in chapter 6, we won't turn there right now, but the more people there were, population explosion, wickedness got worse, got worse and worse until God had to destroy the world. And then when God did send his son into the world, the world was still a wicked place. You imagine when Christ was born, what the world condition was like. Israel was under the iron heel of Rome. The people were in rebellion. They had added to the scriptures. They weren't looking for Christ to come. The Sadducees were sad, you see. Because they didn't believe in any miracles. They didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in a new birth. And these are the leaders of the Sanhedrin. You got people that were really in a bad fix. The Romans were killing anybody that rises up against them, made prisoners of them, or made them pay taxes to Rome. So Christ was not born at the best time in history. The world was not in a better condition. There's people today that write books that we're not looking for the rapture. The job of the church is to get the world ready so that Christ can come back. And he's not coming back until we've got the world ready. So that's why we're supposed to get all the countries and do a lot of socialism and get people and solve the world's problems and get it so good that God will have to come back if he wants to have any part of it. Because if he don't, we'll do it without him. And there are people that write books like that. I've read some. It's pathetic. But in Isaiah chapter 9, the Bible tells us that God is going to send a son unto us. Send his son unto us. And the us there was the nation of Israel. Then, of course, he would have benefited the whole world. John chapter 1 and verse 11. Now we know that from John chapter 1 that in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God and the same was in the beginning with God. And all things were made by Him and without Him was not anything made that was made. And it says, and He was in the world and the world was made by Him and the world knew Him not. And then He makes this statement that they received him not. As many as received him to them gave he power to become the sons of God. But when he came unto his own, his own received him not. So he was rejected, despised. And there's two things about him being despised at his birth. One was just plain because people were ignorant. They were indifferent. They really didn't seem to care. They were careless. Because they had the word they could have known. So carelessness was a choice. They chose not to care. They didn't care about what God said. They wouldn't do anything about getting their lives right. And so they paid a great price. They were not ready when he came. They didn't recognize him. When God had gave all the earmarks on how you could know this was truly the Son of God. And then not only that, but Herod... 
his was blatant. His was not indifference. His wasn't carelessness. And it wasn't because he was totally ignorant. He actually believed that this could be the child that was supposed to come that was to be the king. So what did Herod do because of it? He murdered probably thousands of little children that were under the age of two years old and under. Just murdered them. In other words, an outright hostility to the Son of God. This is how the world received him. Nobody cared. And those that did believe, <laughs> they wanted to kill him. And that's the world that God sent his son into. When he came to the, the inn and they said there was no room for him in the inn, do you think that if he had been rich, royalty, famous, they probably would have made room? You think they would have made room? But think, nobody really cared. Either careless or ignorant or indifferent. But throughout his life, as they began to find out who he claimed to be, there was great hostility toward him. And a great price was paid. I want you to take your Bible and look there in the book of Isaiah and chapter 53. Isaiah and 53. You will see that this was a prophecy about Jesus Christ. This is like reading today's paper 700 years in advance. And Isaiah chapter 53, talking about Jesus Christ, it says in verse 1, Lord, who hath believed our report? In other words, you're writing something no one's going to believe. To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? The word arm of the Lord, up in verse 10 of the previous chapter, really is a reference to Jesus Christ. Because he says in verse 13 of chapter 52, Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. As many were astonished at thee, his visage was so marred more than any man. This is the one that God's going to send. This is what the world is going to do to him. But he says in verse 2 of chapter 53, He shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, then when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. See, when Jesus Christ was here, he wasn't the most handsomest man around because he drew no attention to himself that he was somebody different or greater. I don't know if he had a physique that was any different from anybody else because he didn't stand out in a crowd. They couldn't even recognize him. They had to have Judas that even gave him a kiss at night when they brought the torches and all just so they could recognize How did Judas recognize him from the others? See, there's... It was just, Jesus was just a plain, common, ordinary individual as far as the human eyesight went. There was nothing about him that stood out. Plain and ordinary. But he was anything from being plain and ordinary. He was the Son of God. In verse 3, this is a picture of how the world is going to receive him. Remember, in Hebrews it tells us, that whenever we get faint and weak in well-doing, when we think it's not worth it, 
when we have been despised and we have been made ashamed and we've been rejected God says consider him consider Christ so what we're looking at today is for you really to be able to keep serving the Lord not to get weak in well-doing not to faint not become lackadaisical not to become careless or indifferent but to be aware of the time in which we live and the example that we have to follow. Verse 3, he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with griefs. You ever feel sorry for yourself? Look who he was. And he did no wrong to no one. There's not one thing that Christ did that caused him to deserve the treatment that he received. To realize that one of the worst things in the world that you and I go through is to be rejected by somebody that you love. It hurts and it'll hurt deeply. Cuts to the quick. He says, and we hid as it were our faces from him. You didn't want him. The world did not want him. And remember when Christ came here, he was perfect. He did absolutely nothing wrong to any individual. Why wouldn't we want somebody like that? Have you ever seen somebody that says, you know, I like this guy and I like this and I like this, but I love this man. I love him. I really love him. Or I love her. Have you ever thought that your love at one time was totally pure? As real as can be? And you're as honest as you know how to be? And then after a while, you might not even be sure about your love. Because if somebody rejects you in any way, it's amazing how your love can change. Because maybe you loved them only because you thought they loved you. And you loved them because they treated you right. But if they do you wrong, I don't love you anymore. Did you ever really love? See, the Bible says God loves us with an everlasting love. His was a pure love. If there's anything that anybody wants would be able to really have somebody love them. But think about this for a moment. Are you really capable of discerning when somebody really cares about you? How do you know someone really cares about you? Really loves you? Are there signs? And then as you think about that. If God really loved you, and Jesus Christ was the epitome of love, when God sent his son, God sent his love. So what people were not knowledgeable of was the love of God. They could not see nor understand real, genuine, pure, perfect love because they rejected it so what does that say about the nature of man the discernment of man when the world rejected the most perfect wonderful lovable individual the world's ever seen what does it say about our character about the integrity of man the wisdom of man 
And yet here we are. If God offers to you and I his salvation, if we reject salvation, you reject Christ. You reject Christ. You reject love. You reject God. That's what you're rejecting when you reject Christ. But what about those who have accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior? Isn't it difficult for you to understand how anyone, anywhere, once they know it and hear it, could ever reject salvation by grace? That's hard to understand. And yet the world has rejected the Lord. Here in Isaiah, it says, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. God had to afflict his own son because the son took upon himself the sins of the world. I want you to take your Bible and look in the book of Mark. The book of Mark and chapter 6. You got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. In the book of Mark, and chapter 6 and look there in verse 6 he says in verse 4 but Jesus said unto them a prophet is not without honor but in his own country and among his own kin and in his own house and he could there do no more mighty works save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk and healed them he marveled because of their, what? Their faith. He marveled at their unbelief. In other words, for them not to be amazed at what he was doing brought attention to the fact that he marveled at their unbelief, not their belief. Because that, to him, was a miracle. What he did was so miraculously done that it was hard for the Son of God to imagine, why wouldn't you believe? Marvel at their unbelief. Because they rejected him. They rejected him. But look what else he said in verse 3. As they made the statement about Christ. Is not this the carpenter? The son of Mary? The brother of James and Joseph and Judah and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. Because you're just a man. You're no different than anybody else. Who do you think you are? God? <laughs> yes, he was. What does it say about the so-called wisdom of the world? You and I would have a difficult time believing that one of your brothers or sisters could have been the Son of God. If he never did anything wrong, wouldn't it just blow your mind? You find out later that my, my what? Because you say, well, I know he did this wrong and this wrong and this wrong and this wrong, and you'd have a whole list of things he did wrong. But what if they couldn't find any fault in him? Could you live all those years with a brother or sister and not know if they did something wrong? Or maybe they just thought he did. Maybe they imagined things, what it would have been like. And so in verse 5, and he could there do no more mighty works. Couldn't do any more mighty works. They didn't believe. But there's three things in verse 4 I want you to see. 
But in his own country, the nation who rejected him. Among his own kin, his kinfolks, rejection. In his own house, rejection. And yet, what's the most wonderful thing that you and I want in life? Acceptance. You want acceptance. Do you know what the biggest problem with teenagers today is? The peer pressure. They want to be accepted by their peers. That's why they like to dress like them, act like them, talk like them, because they want to be accepted. Even in our society, most adults like to be accepted. We want people to accept us. Nobody likes rejection. And to think the person that came into the world that never did anything wrong to anybody, this happened to. But God wants us to understand this. The more that you want to be like Christ, Christ made the statement in the Gospel of John. He says, the world hated me. The world despised me. What do you think it's going to do to you? So as you try to live godly, you're going to suffer persecution. So the closer you are like Christ, the more you're going to be rejected, not accepted. The more you're going to be despised. And people may not really understand who you are and what you're all about. If you really want to live godly. He says in James, he says you cannot be the friend of God and the friend of the world. He said, if you're the friend of the world, then he says, you just made yourself an enemy of God. And more people would rather have the world be their friends than God be their friend. But the one thing that's made Abraham different from the majority of the people that came along, as the Bible says, that Abraham was a friend of God. That means if he was a friend of God, he was not a friend of the world. And he wants to be your friend. He says, I have called you friends, John chapter 15. I've called you friends. If you're my friend, you can't be a friend of the world. He says, the world does not love me. Then how can the world love you? We want to try to love the world. But don't expect the world to love you back. If your love is only because you expect the world to love you, the world to accept you, then you won't last long. Because you're going to be so easily offended. Because not everybody's going to appreciate what you stand for. Or who you are. Or what you're trying to accomplish. But he made these three statements. In his own country. His own kinfolk his own house and then he told us about his own so he says there in verse 6 and he marveled because of their unbelief don't you think that Jesus Christ marveled when his own brothers and sisters didn't believe that he was who he claimed to be wouldn't that be rough well, what about with his relatives and what about with the nation of Israel he came unto his own and his own received him not Looked in Luke chapter 4. You got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, look there in verse 16. In verse 16. There's scriptures here where he had gone into the place 
with Nazareth and so on. But you realize that when Christ was in Nazareth, he had lived there for 25 years approximately, 25 years, lived a perfect life for 25 years in front of those people that were the closest to him, and they couldn't tell he was different, that he was God. How bad must their eyes have been? How blind they must have been? And Christ marveled at that. Why couldn't they see? There's people that are in our world and they are blind. But here in Luke chapter 4, he makes a statement in verse 16. He came to Nazareth as he had been brought up, as his custom was. He went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, stood up for the read. But he'd been going there for years. Been there about 25 years. And one day, he decides to read something and say something. He says, this day is this scripture that he's reading from the book of Isaiah, chapter 61. Fulfilled in your ears. He says, these scriptures are talking about me. See that in verse 21? He began to say to them, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. And all bear him witness. Wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? Hey, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Don't we know this guy? We know his family. How can he claim to be somebody like that? He says, surely. A lot of things were done. But as he goes down through here, he makes some statements. He says they would not believe. The very same people, after they heard him for a while, made a few statements. And then he made some comments that they didn't like. And look in verse 28. And all they in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with joy. They were waiting. They were thrilled. This was an exciting moment. The Messiah had come. And he says, I'm the one that he's talking about. This day, this scripture is fulfilled in your ears. I'm here. Yoo-hoo. And they said they were filled with what? Wrath. Evidently, Jesus had not read Dale Carnegie's book on how to win friends and influence people. He must have had a bad attitude. That's why they responded that way. It was all his fault. Jesus did not know how to deal with people. He rose up and thrust him, and they rose up and thrust him out of the city, led him unto the brow of the hill whereon they, their city was built, and they might cast him down headlong. What were they going to do to him? They were going to kill him. Wait a minute, this is hometown. This is hometown. They're going to kill him. One statement that he made. One little message that he made in the synagogue on that particular day. And they're ready to kill him. They knew his mom. They knew his dad, supposedly, Joseph. They knew his brothers and sisters. And they're ready to kill the guy. How would that make you feel if you were the son of God? Christ says whenever you're mistreated and you're despised, you're rejected... Consider him. Consider what he's gone through. Look in the book of Luke chapter 8. Luke in chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, look there in verse 37. Luke chapter 8, 
verse 37. Then the whole multitude of the country, multitude refers to the people, of the Gadarenes round about besought him to depart from them. For they were taken with great fear. And he went up into the ship and returned back again. He left. A whole country side. They didn't want him. Told him to leave their city. How many times that happened? Over and over again. He was rejected. But you see, when you read that one verse over there in the Old Testament in Isaiah chapter 53, he was despised and rejected. That's a prophecy. So when you go to the New Testament, then you ought to be able to validate that. So you find these places where that's what's happening. It knew it. Christ knew before he came how the world was going to treat him. And he came what? Came anyway. Came anyway. Would you treat somebody lovingly and kindly even though you know they may mistreat you? If you had foreknowledge? See, we are very nice to people that we feel are going to be nice to us or are nice to us. But we don't like to be nice sometimes to people who are not that way to us. We want to treat them the way they're treating us. I'm glad that Jesus Christ did not do that when he came into this world. And so he says that no man wanted him. They wanted him to be cast out because of what he had done. See there in verse 39. Return to thine own house and show how great things God hath done for thee because he had healed a man. He says, go and show people what God's done for you. And that's what he did. I'm going to jump down to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. And look at verse 41. Verse 41. In this scripture... He had told them some things that were very important. And they didn't believe. And so after a while he stopped offering to them the kingdom. But in verse 41 he said, And when he had come near, he beheld the city and he wept over it. Saying, now this is what he said. Here's the Son of God. He, and he's weeping. If thou hast known, even thou, at least in this thy day. In other words... If you'd have just known what's going on, the days in which you live, if you understood, if you perceived, had any discernment, the things which belong unto thy peace, in other words, that would have brought you peace, what you could have had, and you threw it all away. You threw it all away. He said, but now they are hid from thine eyes. In other words, there's things that you could have had, you could have seen, you could have known, but you'll never have it. This generation, he says in verse 44, and he says the others will come and they'll lay thee even with the ground and thy children within thee, and they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another. And here's the reason, you ought to underline this, because, because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. When God visited the earth. The day the Son of Man came to your home. Remember what he told Ozacchaeus? Today, the Son of Man is going to abide at your house. We find in the Corinthians, he says, Behold, today is the day of salvation. And the reason is because you and I 
don't know when we're going to die. Did Jesus know when he was going to die? Take your Bible and look there in the Gospel of John in chapter 7. This is where we were this morning when we read the opening scriptures. Chapter 7. The Bible tells us that Jesus knew he was going to die. He had already told them that I must go to Jerusalem and men... Wicked men will take and crucify the Son of God. But in three days I'll come back from the dead. And even though he told his disciples, they didn't really perceive what he said. They didn't understand. Though he said it clearly. Verse 1, after these things, Jesus walked in Galilee. For he would not walk in Jury or in Judah. Because the Jews there in Judea, which was in Jerusalem wanted to kill him so he was in Galilee but remember when he was in Galilee years before at the beginning of his ministry we walked into that temple in Luke chapter 2 it says these days this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears and they wanted to kill him time passes they heard of miracles they wanted to see some more now toward the end of his ministry after these things Jesus walked in Galilee for he would not walk in Judah jury because the Jews sought to kill him now the Jews feast of tabernacles was at hand in other words they were getting ready for the Passover was gonna be long but if he went there he knew they were gonna kill him and the Jews that were there wanted to kill him they were hoping he'd show up but he didn't go there yet because he knew he's going to die at a certain time, at a certain place, for a certain reason. He knew when he was going to die. But get this. Verse 3, his brethren therefore said unto him, Depart thence and go into Judea. This is family talking. His family says, why don't you go there? Did they know what the Jews wanted to do to him? They knew. And what did they tell him to do? Why don't you go? I love you too. <laughs> I love you too. But think about this. And this is, this is a critical portion of scripture. His family says, why don't you go there? All these people that want to see these miracles, they said, nobody does miracles like this unless he really wants to be known. Well, if you're going to do them, let, every, let the world see what you're doing. They didn't believe him. Yet they'd lived with him all their life. They've lived with him all their life. He says this, His brethren therefore said unto him, Depart thence and go into Judah, that thy disciples also may see the works of that thou doest why would they say that look at verse 5 for neither did his brethren believe in him I ain't making this up this is the book they knew that they, the Jews they want to kill him why don't you go and if you are who you say you are and if you can do what you say you can do then go ahead and do all these things so everybody can see don't go in there and hide Reveal yourself. 
Thank you, family. So he says in verse 3, the last part of it, Depart hence and go into Judah, for thy disciples also may see the works that thou doest. For there is no man that doeth anything in secret, and he himself seeketh to be known openly. They even knew his motives. You ever had somebody check you? Always know your motive. I know why you really did that. I know why you did that. And maybe they do, maybe they don't. Maybe they question, doubt. But he says here, If thou do these things, show thyself to the world. For neither did his disciples believe in. Then Jesus said unto him, My time is not yet come, but your time is always ready. Jesus knew the time. He knew the very hour. And you'll find this mentioned about three or four times in the book of John. My hour is not yet come. My hour is not yet come. My hour is not yet come. My hour is come. He knew. He says, I am going to be a kernel of corn that falls into the earth. He says, if it just bites, he says, it abides alone. But if it die, it can come forth and you have all these kernels of corn on all these ears. So he's willing to die. That's John chapter 12. He says, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. And yet, he knew how he was going to be treated before he ever came into this world. He knew that he'd be rejected by the Jewish government, the Roman government, his country, his kinfolk, his family. He was deserted. And then after three and a half years with the disciples, they all deserted him too. And they rejected him. And they left him. And Peter denied him three times. What a story. A story of how much God must have really loved Somebody, But he says here, my time has not yet come, but your time, you don't know when you're going to die. He says, I know when I'm going to die. Yours could happen at any time. You don't know when you're going to die. I know when I'm going to die. I don't think they totally understand. The world cannot hate you, but me it hateth. Because I testify of it that the works thereof are evil. And whenever you take a stand for truth... When you say that abortion is wrong, people will hate you for it. When you say that homosexuality is a sin, a wicked sin, people will hate you for that. Even Christians don't like you to say things about things like that. And yet, God says, stand on the housetop and shout it out. Fear not, fear not their faces, be not afraid, be not ashamed. And declare in the book of John chapter 4 where he said he must needs go to Samaria when he went to Samaria the Bible says that one woman that had trusted the Lord got the whole city to come out and they all believed toward the end of his ministry that was the beginning of it toward the end of his ministry a place called Sychar the people got together and didn't want him to come that was still in Samaria one time open arms, next time get out of here. I want nothing to do with you. Do you think that it's a shame for people to reject Jesus Christ as their Savior? I'm sure you do. But I also want to ask you another question. What about Christians? Christians. That deny 
the Lord the right to use their life for his honor and glory. What about when God chastens an individual and they despise the chastening of the Lord? To despise God's chastening when God chastens you because he loves you. To despise the chastening is to despise his love for you. True? Think about it. And so they despise the chastening of the Lord. They despise the will of God. They despise the church. They despise prayer. Because they don't pray. They despise the word because they won't read. And then they wonder, where's God? There's many of God's people that despise and reject. The will of God for their life. In the time that is left for us to live. If the word of God means anything. We're supposed to discern the times in which we live. And realize that you cannot be a friend of God and a friend of the world. You've got to make people mind one side or the other. I'm either going to serve the Lord and stand for what I believe is right. Or just fall in love with the world and do whatever you want. It's a choice that every individual has to make. And regardless of what somebody else does or doesn't do, personal responsibility is still up on our own individual shoulders. Let's pray, shall we? Our Father, we thank you for the free gift of eternal life. That you loved us so much. Even though you knew what you were getting into. You knew how you was going to be despised and rejected. You came anyway because you loved us. And Father, we pray that each one of us would so live that the world may know that we love the Father and we don't love the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Help us, Father, to keep our eyes focused upon you. Being thankful for what you've done and help us to be a blessing to others that need encouragement to be a right example and use it for your honor and glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.